Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I have to tell you something, people. Last week, when I was on air, I got a call from a casting company. And I, I got cast in a, a, a quick sketch on The Ellen Show. Now, you know, was about, about 10 months ago, I said, you know what? I've never pursued the acting. I have an agent and all that stuff, but I've never pursued it. And I said, you know what? Joanne does background. I said, you know what? If I'm off, they do a little union background. It's good money. So I finally got my third SAG voucher. But what's funny is here's what I've got my vouchers for. I got my first voucher playing someone's hand on NCIS. They sat there and it was a hand insert. They called me. My second voucher was for the Ellen Show another time where they needed people who looked like Huey Lewis in the news, his band. So I played one of the news. And this week, I can't say who it is because it hasn't been aired yet, but I play somebody's forehead. Well, their top of their head, which is funny because I'm thinking they must be looking through like their database. They must call these companies and say, we need a head that looks like such and such. And I got called. So I went down. And so like this week, sometimes my head will be in a sketch, which is pretty cool. So anyway, we have a great show. My guest is looking at me like, oh, your head. <laughs> my guest is Bodie Elfman. How you doing, buddy? Hey, man. How are you? Hey, can I call you Cooper? Because yeah, it I'm, just seems like a cooler cooler way of going about it. Everyone calls me Cooper or Coop. I mean, I, I honestly, I had people in college who would sit there, my one roommate's girlfriend. Yeah. He called me Steve one time. Yeah. And she's like, what'd you call him Steve? And he goes, That's just, everyone calls me Cooper. So call me Cooper. Well, it's like, for me, Cooper is like a, like I grew up in the 70s, like and the kids had names like Cooper and TJ and Hunter. And so like Cooper seems like a, like the name that I would have had as a friend. Like, I, I feel like I'm dealing with the kids that I grew up with. See, that's good. But now what, what's funny thing now is Cooper has become a very uh, popular name with dogs. <laughs> I'm not lying. <laughs> I saw it on like some TV show. I saw it on a commercial. Cooper. Like, Sit, Cooper. Exactly. So see, I'm sitting. So, okay. So now, now I, we got to talk. So now, now you're, you're an actor. You, yeah. You've been performing for a long time. Yeah. When did, I know you, your father was an actor and a filmmaker, but when did you know you wanted to act or was it always around you? I mean, how did you start this path? Well, so my father is, he's actually not an actor, he's a director, but what, he started the band, uh, he's a performer, and he started the band Oingo Boingo uh, in the 60s. So it was a theater troupe, right? So he performed around Europe, and it was a pretty successful theater troupe, and they were pretty far out, and there was like maybe 15 to 20 members, I mean, it was a big whole thing. And his little brother, Danny, was part of the band. And then in the early 80s, or the late 70s, my father decided to get it in, get into directing, like getting into movies. So he got into films and he turned the band Oingo Boingo over to Danny. And Danny took over the band and kind of turned it into an alternative or kind of new wave vibe. And that went off and did what it did. And then Danny eventually stopped and got into composing music. But my, but my dad was sort of already in the business and making interesting films and doing far out stuff. But I wasn't raised by my father. I was, I have a, dude, I have a very unusual upbringing in that my my mom is gay and my mom and my dad were never together okay. uh, they were it was like a one night stand so my, i was raised by my mom and her girlfriend but my dad was always sort of off in the distance you know the once or twice a year type of dad and but i knew him a little bit and he got into filmmaking and started to make films and so i kind of observed it observed it and i kind of dug it but i think there was something in me that always had that beating in me the the idea of making films or or acting or making art. I, my mom is an artist, but it wasn't in in this medium. It was more sculpting and things like that. So I just sort of got into it, uh, watching it. And then even though I'm a Hollywood kid, it was the streets of Hollywood, meaning I, there was no actors in the neighborhood. or there It was all like a very, it, you know, it was a bad neighborhood. It wasn't a, an artistic neighborhood. But I, I don't know. I guess it around... 
my teens, I kind of got into it a little bit. And then, and then I just started taking classes and I studied for a bit. And then I just found a friend that had a, had a manager and agent and signed with them. And then within a day I was auditioning and acting and working and booking films and booking TVs and commercial, I guess, Started kind of immediately. I just got right into it. So you're okay. So you're, you always hear a different story. You know, some people did a lot of theater, did that, but a lot of people sometimes, you know, because it seems like you, you said the neighborhood you grew up with was yeah. a Hollywood neighborhood. So you had some street smarts. I mean, you probably had a hundred percent was a street. Yeah. I mean, listen, there's ghettos. So I don't want to try to put myself like I was in like a serious scene. Right. There wasn't killings, but there was, it was a bad neighborhood. It wasn't a good neighborhood. Hollywood, uh, now is just hipsters and coffee shops and and beards and people with small dogs. But in the seventies, it was actually all African American or Latino gangs. I mean, that's all Hollywood was. And uh, so I kind of rolled with that scene and just learned how to get along with. I was the I was the smallest, skinniest, whitest person in the entire okay. neighborhood. <laughs> so I learned how to get along with people. So now, now how when when you when we, you talked about being a seventies kid? Yeah. How did uh, just that your your uncle's music influenced you did that get you to a whole brand new thing of music or were you into music because you know you seem you seem like a hip guy you seem someone who likes music and likes acting yeah yeah but i mean were you into music when you were a younger kid yes yeah i mean because my when i would hang out with my pop he would sort of turn me on to cool stuff and i definitely i mean the the music that he was into had uh, far out influences and very eclectic influences in in old cab calloway and Gosh, even Brazilian, like they just hit my father was so involved in far out music that that vibe coming to me influenced me and I kind of got into that stuff. So, yeah. And then Oingo Boingo hit in the early 80s and that was its whole. So I I went into that route of all that that kind of alternative music that was hitting from X and and Devo and like those kind of far out fun L.A. bands. See, that's just funny, yeah, because I, I got into them later just because my roommate in college was from Hong Kong. So he brought over, like, and I I, I went to college in 82. I graduated in 86. So he brought over bands like Ultravox and different bands we had never heard yes. of. And I was like, wow, because, I mean, we were New Jersey kids. So we were, you know, yeah. Springsteen and South, Southside Johnny, you know, and all that yeah. stuff. And it was amazing. And not till years later did I get into X. And even Oingo Boy, I mean, I started listening to Oingo Boingo in college because uh, we had a surfer guy who had some cool yeah. stuff. So it was cool. Uh, I just went through an Ultravox stage. Okay. So- meaning I just went back into my old uh, records and was like, God, Ultravox. I haven't heard them in a while. And I broke it out. And I, and I, just, I was like, yeah, what, a, what a great band. I know. I saw Mitch Yore at a at a concert, an 80s concert a few years, two years ago. It was with Howard Jones, the Thompson Twins. Yeah. And, uh, Katrina, not the waves, just Katrina. Just Katrina. And it was great. So now so now you get there, you, you get a manager, now, now you, and you all start auditioning right away. I mean- with, Within, I got a manager- she had a she had a son um, who was a famous kid actor named Barrett Oliver. Do you remember Barrett Oliver? No. Never Ending Story, okay. Cocoon. He was this. All right, so this was his mom, Barrett's mom, and she was like a mom manager. But she saw me um, hang out with Barrett a couple times, and she, she and she knew I was. I think she approached me, and I said, "Yeah, I'm doing acting class." Okay, anyway, so. This stuff is boring to me, but if you want to know about it, I'll tell you. No, I want to because okay. it interests me. I don't want to bore you. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. So <laughs> she, she, she said, okay, so here's what we got to do. We got to get you a, a, an agent. So she knew agents cause she had been in that scene and she got me a meeting with the Harry gold agency, which was a, at the time they were like the big kid agency. And I was just, I was a teenager, but just near the end of my teens. 
And I went in there and I met with them. And that day I was auditioning. I literally was, I walked out and I went to an audition that day. That was so it, done. At that point, did you sit there and say, okay, this is going to be my life? Because you've worked for years. You've had a lot of credits. So, I mean, did, I mean, we're all, I always say when we're yeah. that age, yeah. we think, but I guess if you're acting at that age, it must be such a cool high. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I had another job. I was, uh, I worked at a really cool motorcycle school that would travel around the U.S. teaching people how to, to do high performance riding. My best friend, my best friend's father owned that, and it's it's still around. The, the, it's it's a pretty spectacular company. It's called the California Superbike School, and they they really go they rent tracks out across the U.S. and they teach people how to do high performance riding. So I worked there as a as a like as a a really young guy, like a 16 years old, I had a good job, but I got into acting and I, and I started to book and work and that became a problem to keep the job because you have to travel and be available. And I was starting to work right away and I had to quit the job. And I was kind of bummed because then it meant a lot of free time in between your jobs. You know, when you, as an actor, you have a lot of free time in between, right. in between your, your auditions or your jobs. And I liked the, the job I did have. That was my full-time job. So I guess I sort of put my hustle on and was like, all right, I better, I better figure out how to do this. So, yeah, I mean, especially when you're young, it must be crazy when you have the free time. Because, you know, it, when you're in college, you have free time, but you're, you're, you know, you're, yeah. you're studying and this stuff like yeah. that. So what would you do with your free time? You know, oh, that, okay, so you're bringing up a really far out point. So my wife and I were talking to uh, an, someone that helps us, helps us out with our kids. And she's, a, she's 18 years old and she's getting started as an actress and she was wanting advice about, you know, what does she do to start? And me and Jenna kind of were like, oh, okay, so what kind of advice could we give you? And one of the things we realized is that how she spends her time, right? This is this is your average person in Los Angeles right now. You're, you're, young, you're young adult in Los Angeles. There's a lot of going out on hikes. There's a lot of going out to eat. There's a lot of sitting in coffee shops. There's a lot of going out at night to restaurants or clubs. And Jenna and I kind of looked at each other and we went, holy, can I, can I say, yeah. Shit. Whatever you want. Can I say yeah, you shit? Can say whatever you want. You All right. Can, you already said shit. You can All say right, whatever you want. It's fine. Jenna and I turned to each other and we're like, holy shit. Because we just realized what we did our first 15 years together, my wife and I. We've been together 26 years and we met when we were both teenagers. And what we did, Steve, is we were actually in acting class all week long. And all we did was study and, pre- and study in class or prepare scenes or do research on the characters. We spent the first, and I'm saying from the time we were teenagers to in our early 30s we just studied and it's i'm positive it's why we actually kept out of trouble why we stayed together why we never had any big fallouts or big scandals it's actually because all we did was study and do art that's it see yeah it's funny i mean that that is true though because you think about what you know what how do people get in trouble you know you watch tmz it's someone going to a club it's always fucking 4 a.m yeah that's yeah and they're always going hey Nothing good has nothing good happens past four a.m. No, no, no. You met you met Jenna in your acting class. No, I met her at an audition, a okay. sprite audition, and so, she was a teen, she was living at home with her mom and her dad in Northridge. I was living in Hollywood and just doing my acting thing, and that was that. Yeah. I, and so was it was it attraction right away? Because you always wonder how couples, you know, because and you said and for a Hollywood couple to twenty six years, that's like. 50, that's 50 years. years in real life. That's, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's be honest. Cause yeah. you never hear that. You're like, you hear yeah. the old school couples, you know, back in the day, but so then was there a certain, an instant attraction when you guys met or was it just something that took a while? Cause you said you seemed to study a lot. You had a lot in common. Yeah. I brought her into the acting class with me. So she started to study cause she was, she was a dancer. So she was just, she wasn't really doing a lot of acting. She was dancing. And then 
she was doing a ton of commercials. But when I saw her, I don't really know. I can't really answer that question because it's, it's beyond the ken of my understanding. It's, it was just something clicked where I was like, that, that, that's, that, that one right there. I, I approached her and I talked to her at the audition and I asked her if I could have her headshot. <laughs> and I took her head, I took the headshot home and I showed my roommate. I said, this is the girl I'm going to marry. And he's like, who is she? And I was like, I don't know. This is the, this is the girl I'm going to marry. And then I got a call the next day that I got the job and I went to the wardrobe fitting. And as I pulled in the wardrobe fitting, she pulled in as well. She'd gotten the job too. Yeah. And it was a done deal. It's a sign. It's signs. It was a, it was a done deal. So you started, you were doing commercials. Yeah. And then when did you start? You started going across the TV. Would you start doing a lot of TV or what was no, your No, mine was instantaneously. The, the auditions were commercial and film and TV instantaneously. She was just doing commercials and dance. And I helped her get a theatrical agent. And then she took off immediately. The, the, immediately when she got a theatrical agent, she, it was a done deal. She started to book immediately. Now you, did you like to sit there? Did you like doing commercials and TV and movies? What was your one you liked? Everyone says, you know, we love acting. It's all great. But for you, you know, because commercials are a lot different than TV. Yeah. A lot different movies. It's such a different medium. I mean, what what did you get the most enjoyment out of? Um, films, but I loved the checks that came with getting those commercials, right? right? Like you're, you know, you're 20 years old and you're living paycheck to paycheck in your apartment and you want to, you, those residuals would come in. Right. For, for whatever, you know, the brand was that you were that you were schlepping around, and that was great. But films, I love doing films. I, I got to do fun films. Now, now, how many commercials do you think you've done? Uh, uh maybe fifty to seventy-five or something so like that. So you've done, a, I mean, a, a a ton of commercials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, all in all, probably fifty to seventy-five. That's a I've fact. probably done a hundred films and maybe maybe a uh, hundred or so TV shows as well, or something. Now, do you think maybe could, do you say you know because you studied a lot after that? Do you think your studying helped you? Because a lot of people sit there. And you always hear, oh, that person got, you know, their overnight success. But then, you know, people don't know that they've been studying I'm, and doing this for years. I'm still doing it. I'm still working on the game. I'm still out there hustling and, and working and taking, you know, doing meetings and auditioning and abs- and putting together my own projects. It's still it's still like a continual create. It's like a, a building that's not even, there's still scaffolding on it. What are some of your projects like when when someone when you say okay what's like a a Bodie Elfman project he'll put together like when you sit there and you and you oh wait, my god what, they're so what like what I want to hear them because I'm I'm guaranteeing they're fun and I'm guaranteeing they're they're, they're a little avant garde a little bit different I think because you seem like a, you seem like a guy who likes a little bit of different yes but I bet you you I bet if I told you you'd be a little surprised about the things that are, that I'm creating I want to hear some of the things you're creating there is a TV show that we uh, me and a partner. And my, and mine. I'm sorry, I'm not being articulate about this because I. It's one of those things where you're kind of like, all right, how do you describe it? It's a show about the foundations of Los Angeles. Los Angeles was really sort of built on, uh, on oil. And in fact, this entire city was the largest producer of oil in the 1920s than anywhere else in the world, more than uh, Southwest, more than uh, the Middle East. This is where all the oil came from. And at the conclusion of World War One. Uh, the the world and the governments of the world realized that oil, especially the U.S. government, realized that oil was was important for the next <laughs> if we were going to have another war. Right. So Los Angeles didn't built didn't get built on the entertainment industry. It was built on oil, and it was and it went from being like a very small little town of pueblos to one of the fastest growing cities in the in the world during the 1920s. And so we I've developed a sort of along with these other amazing people that I'm working with, we have 
phenomenal people attached, great uh, actors and directors, and there's am- amazing people attached. And But it's really about the foundation of Los Angeles and sort of how the city came to be. And, and really, Los Angeles is Mexico. We're living in Mexico. We, we, we won the, the, the war with them, and we, we took their land. And so there's a, it's sort of about the tension with that and how the city came to be. So I, I know that's probably not what you thought it was going to be, but it's that, that was a subject that interests me a lot. You know, and then no, I think it's very interesting because that's, you, you know, people, especially now, like, people have to hear true stories I mean, or the, the yeah. factual stories because yeah. you think everything LA is yeah. Tinseltown. And I just saw something yeah. about the deal that, uh, was it mobile made or something years ago about the, 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 uh, the system, the transit system, the yes. subways, and they yeah. sat there and they got rid of it. And I heard L- LA had like one of the best public transportation systems, the yeah. subway, and mobile said, no, we'll do this. And then, of course, in the long run, right. they made the money. So that's, that's, right. that's interesting. So now, how did you decide, I mean, what what piqued your interest about this project? My partner brought it to me, and, I, and having been born here, I always had a fascination with the city and the foundation of how Los Angeles came to be and really how the whole city rose in the fa- the facade of all is glitter and all is gold but really what's sort of behind all that bullshit that was interesting so when he brought it to me i got always with a love of los angeles and a love of hollywood uh, i got interested and then when you dig into la and sort of see how corrupt and how i mean new york you know it new york is a was always a massive city but it took its time to get where it got los angeles got built be- became like from nothing to something really fast so it's a really interesting story in that it, it was outlaws and banditos, and all of a sudden there was like a city hall and a police department, and it was lawless. It was insane. Now, is this going to be a movie or a TV series? This will be a TV series. And now, Cable. Now, how do you sit there and actually find all these facts? That's what fascinates me because it's, it's, we're in such an internet age now, but a long time ago there wasn't any internet. Like You uh, sit there and find, how do you find yeah, the facts? I mean, well, I have probably now probably three or four hundred hours of research for this just this project alone it's a lot of books there is internet of course i mean there's there's going to visit places i mean listen there's so many things i can tell you about the city because i've lived in it now for a couple of years i mean well lived in it meaning lived in the research of this city for a couple of years but like for instance um hitler had a bunker here which is in the pacific wow. palisades and there was a there was a group of nazis that built a bunker uh this is all before world war ii you understand because you know hitler's rise was in the 20s and 30s, way before World War II, he was doing his thing. And there was there was a group of, they were called the Silver Shirts. And it was a massive Nazi party in Los Angeles waiting for the Fuhrer to take over and and come here and have his base. And it's still it's still there in the Pacific Palisades, the, the base and the foundations of Hitler's bunker. Isn't that amazing? That's, yeah, I mean, because that's something you never see on a, on a postcard. Nope. Come see Hitler's bunker. Give me, right. give me some other interesting facts, because I, I, love, I love factual stuff. Yeah, I mean, I love stuff like this, too. But so, uh, uh, really, the, the, the religion and cult scene in Los Angeles was incredible. There, there was evangelists and, and these people that were larger than life. Uh, Simple uh, McPherson was this one lady who had a following of, of hundreds of thousands of people, and she was a, she was like an, you know a, an evangelist, and she would, she, uh, well, I mean, you can't, it, it was it was her own religion, right? It, it was her own religion, and she would have people, tens of thousands of people would uh, come to her weekly uh, masses or sermons or whatever it was, and then one day she just went missing, and the city, the city was, I mean, this is in the twenties, right? Like the city went nuts, like it was the equivalent of as if right now Obama went missing. That's okay. how. And it was insane. And she turned up uh, 
having an affair with someone in Palm Springs, but then had to pretend, but then had to go to Venice Beach and throw herself in the ocean to make it look like she had tried to been murdered. I mean, these are the things, the stories that are the, the city was just amazing. There was hundreds of thousands. I think there was a point where there was a hundred thousand people in the streets for her funeral because I thought she was dead, but then she just turned up in a hotel room in Palm Springs. <laughs> So these are the things that are kind of amazing. See, and to me. that's what's great, though, because that's what's like something like a series you're working on. Yeah. That's what people love because you love to see stuff that is just so say sounds so bizarre. Yeah, but it's true. Yeah, we sit there and you when you sit there and you go, man, it's like it's like that's why period pieces are so great. And I'm I hope now. Do, are you do you have an idea when this may come out, or are you just pitching it? Or no, no. Well, the the thing that you have to do now and that's taking a long time is breaking out the story for what the season will be. Okay. So working with with the team on how the series will go, and 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 then when you've broken it down, then you hope to God that you can sell it because it's a period piece, and it's there's not it's not a line of people going. I want to write a check for millions of dollars to make a period piece. You have to find a group of people that understand that. I mean, this is going to be a det- it's going to be a detective and a crime story. It, there, it's going to be built around a crime story. So it's gonna it's gonna follow a plot set in the foundations of Los Angeles. Now, will you be involved in the acting? Would you want to be involved in acting or you just want to run the show? Because I'm, I'm sure that uh, must be such a responsibility to do both. I'm not going to run the show because I don't have the ability to run the okay. show. You know, I helped create it, but you'll, it will need a proper and it will have a proper showrunner with a team of writers. I'll be involved in the writing of it to help and to learn. You know, I want to be in the writer's room and learn. And yeah, I'll, I'll probably pay, play a, a reporter. You know, back in the day, Steve, the play, uh, Los Angeles had um, 12 newspapers, right? So um, there was morning editions, afternoon editions. It was the equivalent of like, you know, Twitter or Instagram now where you, you get your feed. Newspapers ran the city, 12 newspapers, right? So you had continual, like the whole thing, uh, reporters scouring all day long for, for stories. It was the equivalent of like, you know, viral thi- things, things would happen in the city. See that's that's what's cool. I remember when I I moved here like 15 years ago, and I lived in this little studio in Hollywood. Yeah. And down the street there was like there was always like the the, the I forget it was off Hollywood Boulevard. There was like that newsstand. What I, was the street? I well I'm not I'm not sure because I lived on Leland, but this was down. I lived on Leland and Sunset. Yeah, you're talking like, about the newsstand that was on the south side of the street. And it was just long. Right had, around Cherokee. Yeah, and it had so many and it was so cool, mm-hmm. you know. And that was like when I was a kid, I loved that because I loved sports, and my yeah. parents would take me to this. What they call here a swap mate. We call it back yeah. east, a flea market. Yeah. And these guys would sell sporting news and all that. Yeah. With the cover ripped off. Yeah. For cheaper. Yeah. And I loved it. And now it's like people don't understand like how cool the newspaper was. Like when you sat and yeah. you got on a train or when you had your coffee in the morning. Now yeah, you're right. on the tablet and it's like, and I, I miss that sometimes because it was like that part of just like, if you're in a newspaper, like if you're in an article, like I did stand up comedy, I had an yeah. article in the, the Courier Post, which is yeah. the one. And, that was a big thing. Now yeah. it's like, if you have an article, there's 8 million little outlets on the computer. Right. There's not that same thing anymore. Well, so here's the interesting thing about that. So we we talk about how different things are now with social media and that you can get immediate news or data instantaneously on your phone. So check it out. So back in the day in LA, everything was the same. It was all run through the uh, through the ads or through the... Um, uh, in the newspaper, what's it called? I'm I'm blanking on the word Classified. right now. Classified. Yeah. So everything. So, but that includes like, hey, I'll meet you for lunch, or Sally, you never showed up at the coffee stand. Like <laughs> th- it was all the same stuff. And with twelve papers a day, you could you could run continual uh, outlets and continual information every day. And that's actually how the city ran its basic kind of like 
data through this <laughs> through the right. through the pipes of the city was all through the through that. Now, was this is this one of the first projects you've tried to create, or have you been doing trying this for a while? Because I know you've been acting a lot. But yeah, is something that you've. Well, no, my wife and I and I have been working on a couple things for a while. We have a kids project that we've been working on, like a kids adventure show. Um, we've been developing our own show about marriage. We we're, we're in love with this process, like just the development of it, but getting it right, working things out. This city is built on great writers, and really that's where it comes down to is is working and finding wonderful writers. And so, yeah, I love this stuff. And then there's a documentary I'm I'm making about the Little Rock Nine. Okay, well, now what's that? I love documentaries. I'm a big I'm a big yeah. guy. So what's the, what's this? What's the what's the backstory? Little Rock Nine is a famous story about um, nine African American kids from Little Rock, Arkansas, that um, when the governor of Arkansas passed, uh, uh, I'm not going to get into too many things that are going to bore people, right. but they passed a law that would integrate uh, the schools of of Arkansas. The a similar law had passed in other states nearby, and so the law had passed, and the governor of Arkansas tried to stop it. Um, and prevent the kids from from integrating the school. So if if you ever there's famous footage you can Google it of these uh, young African American teenagers that tried to attend high school and the uh, the National Guard stopped them because the governor usurped the National Guard, which is illegal, usurped them to stop the kids the African American kids from getting in the school, and it was a nightmare. It was a riot and people and then so. So then the president of the United States had to intervene and actually had to uh, uh, get the governor of Arkansas over to him in D.C. and tell him he couldn't do what he was doing. The governor of Arkansas wouldn't listen, so the president of the United States got the 101st Airborne and, and mobilized the 101st Airborne wow. to Little Rock, Arkansas. This is a famous event. This this for a series of a period of uh, the course of a year was more newsworthy than what was happening with space flight or wars across the world. This was a national story. So we are making the documentary. The same group of people that are do that I'm working with on this Los Angeles story are making this documentary about the Little Rock Nine. We've interviewed already half of the original nine members. One of them has passed, so we have a couple more to go. And it's going to be a spectacular story of the history of what happened to these these nine kids, essentially kids. Um, I mean. They had the 50th year anniversary, and President Clinton was there. This is a big thing, you know, because Clintons, the Clintons are from right. Little Rock. Uh, well, they're actually are they from Little Rock? They're from Arkansas. They're from nearby. Clinton is from nearby, but Little Rock was their main, their mainstay. So these are issues that a lot of people have a lot of interest in. So that's the Little Rock Nine. So no, so that's good though. So you you have you have ideas that are you know they're socially aware, but yeah. they but they also. They're history enriched, and that's yeah, what, yeah, that's yeah. what's good. Cause you need that. Both of those seem that I mentioned to you. Both of them seem to be a little enriched in history. I guess, yeah. Yeah, they are because it's something that you know. I mean, the LA thing fascinates me. That's what oil. Oh, the I LA, mean, and and that's yeah. the kind of thing you know. You watch it. It's like when when uh, LA Confidential came out. Yeah. And the DVD, and this was years ago when DVDs yeah. were new. Sure. They had like a map of L- like an interactive yes. map where you could sit there and go, "Wow, okay, well, the Formosa, I've been there. That's still open." Yeah. But all these different things, and when you watch something you want to know yeah i mean it makes it makes it more tangible oh i've we've I, uh, my uh, the team and i have watched uh, la confidential a dozen okay. times in the last year or so because <laughs> it's a masterpiece and we're doing our la story so it's a it's a template for sure for sure uh, la was just a a series of oil fields for a long time I mean, there's photos of los angeles 
where it looks like it's, I mean, it's incredible. There's just oil derricks everywhere. Now, you also have a podcast going. Yeah, so I have a podcast. Now, called, now how long ago did you, how long, when did you start that and how did that come about? My podcast that Jen and I have is called Kicking and Screaming. It's um, it's a podcast about marriage. We were about to release our 50th episode this next Sunday. Sweet. You can get it on iTunes or we're part of the Nerdist Network. It's, a, you know, my wife and I have been together for, for 26 years and fucking marriages are amazing. They're hard and they're, they're fun and they're crazy and relationships are just crazy. It's not just marriages, right? It's just relationships because it could really be any type of relationship, whether it's, you know, doesn't matter. The whole concept of, like, yeah. It, it can be, they're it, just it, fucking it can crazy. Be, it can be a band. It can be, it can be, you know, a boyfriend, girlfriend. It can be a coworker. I mean, yeah. relationships. And, and the thing is. Long-term people, relationships, they have a tendency to just, they're just become fucking crazy and funny. Well, yeah, because that's, <laughs> that's funny you say that because, you know, my, well, my father passed a few years ago, but my parents were married for a 55 years. Wow, yeah. And you would sit there and, and as a kid, I never saw them argue, argue, but they would. There's things they'd argue about would be the stupidest things. Like, oh, my God. Like, oh, yeah, we're at a restaurant. And the upstairs, they had the nicest copper things. And my dad would go, no, they were silver. And then it would right. run. And I'd finally go, screw it. I'd call the restaurant. I'd go, yeah. hey, upstairs, what color? And they go, oh, well, they're actually, they're pewter. And I'm like, yeah, oh, see, you're both wrong. <laughs> but so, and it's things, it's, it's like you, you, because you have to know that person so much. And yeah. I think after a while, you have to not argue, but you have to bicker a little bit just to make things interesting. I think we make each other crazy, but we love each other. It's <laughs> I, I, Now, how do you make her crazy? Oh, my God. I know I make my wife crazy because I don't pay attention to, 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 to details sometimes. So there's constant like uh, things where I'm, I'm kind of like flighty and artistic. And she's very practical. And so there's there'll be details that I miss. And she thinks I'm – I mean, listen – I know my wife thinks I'm slightly retarded. <laughs> I know that's politically incorrect, but I but I know that my wife thinks I suffer from just very slight retardation. Like, but that she. <laughs> well, I get that too because I get it from my girlfriend Joanna. She always goes, "Didn't you read the text?" Or I'll read something. Yes. And you look real quick, and but you. I get the idea. I yeah. get the gist. But then you'll miss like one little thing, oh, yeah. and they'll be like, "But it said." I'm like, "Yeah, I got the gist." Yeah, I got the gist of it, and my wife, my wife is like, "You're, you're, you're." you're <laughs> You're, you're barely functioning, Bodie. You're bar- like I don't know how you wipe your ass in the morning. It's like this is you're barely functional. And I'm like I feel fine. I just you know I got the gist. <laughs> now and now what what drives you crazy about her? Um, let's see. Oh, that's a, that's a very my wife is fantastic. I think I married way 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 up. So I, for the only thing about my wife is that. Oh God! I mean, I don't want to get you in trouble. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm afraid to say I'm a beaten <laughs> take, man. Take the fish. Here, here's the thing. I'm a beaten. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a beaten man. I, I'm afraid. She, I'll come back and she'll have a sack of oranges. Yeah. So she doesn't leave marks. She doesn't want to leave marks. Everything's below the neck. So, so, so no. What? So no. What decide? What made you guys decide to do the podcast? Just because you had a good relationship, uh, but you wanted. To make- I had a midlife crisis and I wanted to go fuck cheerleaders. Okay. And and my wife was like, "All right, well, go fuck cheerleaders then." But you know, you've got two kids, so how do you want to go about this? So she gave. So what happened was, is that I I had sort of hit my forties, and I was like, I I really like I've been in this marriage for a long time, and I love my kids, and I love you, but I think I really want to go fuck some cheerleaders. And she's my best friend, so I thought I'd tell her about it. <laughs> Good move. So she was like, "Okay, so well, here's the thing: go fuck whoever you want to fuck, and don't come back with any cooties." And you better be a dad for your kids. 
And I was like, really? She's like, yeah, just go do whatever you got to do. And so I was like, oh, is this a Jedi mind fuck? Like, is she, is this real? Is this really happening? And I thought about it. And then I went through the five girls. I was like, okay, I'm going to call that girl. I'm going to call that girl. And then I was like, man, that's, my kids are going to grow up and they're going to be, they're going to like, can I look them in the eye? And, and I realized that she, my wife had done the Jedi mind trick on me. I was like, no, of course I'm not going to, of course I'm not going to do anything stupid. So I realized that. I needed an outlet for all the pent up sort of like energy of, of the relationship of like things I wanted to say and that, you know, all that stuff. So we just started kicking and screaming and we just started to talk about shit and it just made us laugh stuff. It just made us laugh. And that was it. And, and we started to do it infrequently. And then when we signed with Nerdist, then now it's every Sunday night, every Monday, the new podcast comes out. Now, do you sit there and be, do you do preparation, like sit there and go, okay, we're going to talk about this this week. I don't tell her anything. I do it myself. I like so I like just, throwing her softballs and just let her hit him. Oh, and for the record, Steve, I didn't fuck any cheerleaders, okay. nor anyone else for that matter. Well, it, I can tell. I, it, I'm it sure was, you wouldn't. It was I a mean, Jedi mind trick. Yeah, but I'm, I'm sure. I mean, that's like anything. It, it's like, you know, the old the old TV shows. So, well, you can kiss me if you want. Right. Like, oh, I can't kiss. You know, that's right. the thing. She was, she was sitting there and she sat there and- She called my bluff. Yeah, and she knew you'd get the more than the gist. Yeah. You'd get the point. But I had to come to it on my own, right? Like she, because I don't, I think long-term marriages, you can't, you can't have a long-term marriage or relationship. Marriage isn't important. Relationship. And B, you can't put things like, hey, if you ever fool around on me, I'll kill you. Or I, I'll leave you. I think stuff like that, I think it makes things tight and like tense and clenched. I think you got to have it loose. Though, my wife and I have been together 26 years and neither of us have ever been with another person, let alone held the hand of another person in 26 years. But part of that is like, if my wife came to me and she was like, all right, um, so yeah, I, uh, I, uh, you know, <laughs> right. I, I, I would be, all right, well, yeah, I mean, fucking stuff happens. Let's see if we can work this out. I, I couldn't, I, I wouldn't, it would be very hard for us to be, you know, to do something, people are human and they make errors. And I think you got to have, you got to have forgiveness and I think part of that forgiveness is part of the reason why neither of us have actually done anything stupid because there's a certain amount of like, hey, people are human. And I do have the ability to tell my wife anything and she can tell me anything. I tell her, oh man, there was a girl and I was flirting with her. I felt shitty. I was kind of just chatting with her and she was cute and I kept looking at her tits. And my wife laughs and, and a story. And then believe it or not, me telling her about it kind of kind of deflates that scene. And now I don't think about that girl and I'm kind of done. It exactly. gets it out there and it's done. Because once, you know, the, the whole thing about flirting, I think, and people know this, yeah. if you're in a relationship, the whole thing about yeah. flirting is like that little, you know, little bit of danger. Are yeah. We, are, are we going to act on it? No. I no. would never cheat on my girlfriend. Of course. But if you flirt, that's the whole thing about danger. And then when you tell them, then you're cleansing yourself. You're sort of saying, you know what, here's what I did. And they're yeah. probably thinking, yeah. yeah, like you don't even have a chance with her. You know, that in, in oh, the old totally. head, they're like, well, oh, I yeah. know Jenna thinks if, I, by the way, I also know Jenna let me do whatever I wanted knowing that, because in my mind, I think I'm incredibly sexy and, and that hot women would continually just like want throw themselves at me. But really, I'm an I'm an older aging Jewish <laughs> skinny white guy. So the, the actual fact is I probably wouldn't have gotten any action. And my wife is the only one that knows this because I'm not aware of it. Right. Because I, I still think I'm incredibly cute. Yeah, well, me, I, 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 I always go, I'm, I'm bald and I'm cross-eyed. I always tell my friends, I go, I have a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful girlfriend. I say, I said, you guys, when I see friends like who are good looking guys yeah, who can't yeah, get yeah. someone, I go, yeah. guys. Look at you and look at me. Look at Joanne. She's beautiful. And they're like, well, yeah, well, you, because well, you, you, you're funny. 
no, dude, I'm bald and I'm cross-eyed. Okay, so I said, I don't want to hear it because you're you're you look good, you make good money, you drive a nice car. There's no reason why you're not dating anyone. I drive an old piece of shit car because I'm frugal and I like my car. Right. And I have her. Right. Just think what you could do. And right. it's the thing. It's yes, we, yes. we still think in our mind, you know. Oh it's, yeah. Oh, I think I'd just clean up. I would just, I think I would just fucking clean up. <laughs> so, so now what's up with the acting? Now, after acting all these years, yeah. what do you, you know, you've done, you, I mean, you were on a uh, touch, which was a very good show. Yeah. And, um, and, and you, you played a, uh, was it, was Rupert? Avram, an acidic Jew yeah. that's very steeped in mysticism and Kabbalah. And yeah, he was that guy. Now, did you enjoy that role? I, mean, oh, I loved it. I mean, so what did you love about the role? Cause we, I watched that show. Oh, I love the stuff show. that Avram got to talk about. He, he was always like, the numbers of the cohedrum were uh, steeped in history. Like He was always kind of involved in some crazy stuff that I just loved it. It was great. Also, I just got to play a badass Jew. How many badass Jews are out there? I grew up in a Jewish neighborhood. There yeah. wasn't many. There was yeah. a few accountants that did good yeah, this Yeah, Avram was a badass Jew. <laughs> now, what are some other, other roles you've really liked in your career? Because as I said, you have over 100 credits. And I just want to hear what you enjoy. And also, have you ever got killed on screen? I've been killed many times. Okay, now I want to hear because this is this this is one thing like with my guests that fascinates uh, tons me. Tons of killings. Like, like what's what's the lamest killing and what's the best killing? Oh my God, Steve, these are amazing questions because I'm gonna have to go back into the in the deep I, files. That's, that's Cooper talk. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit! Okay, okay, so the first, okay, so at, let me get this. Do you want the most amazing killing? What do you want? Yeah, like the one that was you were like, oh my God, that scared the crap out of me, or you're like, wow, that was really technically done so well. And I want to do the one that you said. What the hell was that? I got that's killing me. Well, Come my, on. oh my god, my father made a film where I, I, I get killed, and then I, and then by by a bunch of shrunken heads that attack me, like shrunken <laughs> flying heads, and it was it was a film called Shrunken Heads that was really a funny film, and so I get killed by the by the flying shrunken heads, and then I come back from the dead. So, but that was kind of fun because it was my father's film and I got to act with my father. Um, there's been some killings of jumping off large objects and that's always scary because i've i'm not an action guy i'm a character guy but i've done more action sequences than than most of the people that i know and for some reason i'm always the one that's i don't know why that is steve i have no idea why i do why i get cast in roles that require action i should be the guy that's just nerdly sitting in front of a computer typing away and and i've been that guy a million times too but I've done, so I guess dramatic ones have been flying off buildings and things like that, where they really did want to use me, and they had, like, you know, things to catch me, and I hated stuff like that. I would, I don't, you know, it's so funny, because I don't like heights, and and you know that when something, when you're, they say yeah. you jump off the building, you know it's safe, because you don't see stories of actors getting hurt and dying every day but it must no it, i never thought it was safe but it, no i mean so how do, how do you sit there no, I, I hated mean, it so i mean do you sit there and i've always wondered that when you do like a jump like that is it you have to hit it in one take or they're gonna be pissed no or? they do it usually two two to three and and, and i'm t i'm gonna tell you right now i've done action or stunt sequences where i felt that something was wrong there was a tv show i did uh it was an american show but it filmed in canada and and i i found and I hope that there are Canadian crew members listening. I found them to be seven notches below what American crews are. And I mean that. And in, what, I, and, in what way? Oh, below professionalism and competence. And I hope they're listening. I hope, they're get, I hope they get mad at me and then get better at what they're doing. Because they were seven notches below. The American crews are spectacular. They're spectacular. Like this, this city has the best production crews in the world. The Canadian crews were not at that level at all. 
So I was working on a TV show and there was a, there was a, a lot of action sequences. And there was stunts where I went, okay, so we're going to stand here and that blows up and then we jump off that. And I kept saying, that doesn't seem right. And they were like, oh, we know what we're talking about. And there was times where I went, why don't you just do a test? Why don't you just do a test yourself, stunt guy and action department? And they did it. And they, they all got injured and sent to the hospital. Like I caught it several times where I was like, you would have killed me. You would have absolutely killed me. So no, how do you how do you keep working on a show like that when that happens? Do you I mean because you know the whole thing is the crew you have to be harmonious. You must sit there. That's like a equivalent of going I hate through, it. going yeah going through. I hate it. But no, as an actor, how do you get through it? Because you just you can't quit the job. I mean, you just just do it. You think you think what every like nine Ooh. to five guy who hates his, fo- his, his yeah you just do bosses. it. Well, well, I mean, you do you just get your hat on your professional hat on and kick ass. But I did have a rule at a certain point is that the the. I wouldn't do a stunt unless the the head stunt coordinator would do it first. Like he he had to like n- I wouldn't do one thing until he did it. Now that's smart though. Yeah. I mean, but now but in America you would do, you would do it though. In LA you would do it. Yeah, though. those guys are amazing here. They know their business. So what are some of the fun stunts you've done? Because it's so funny when you said you know you're the type that the character actor that does a lot more than others. And as you said, you played a, yeah. a, a violent Hasidic Jew, which you know yeah. so you're putting those roles, which yeah, yeah, must yeah. be cool. But what are some like? Because I always sit there, I think because whenever I see people like running yeah. and shooting guns, I sit there and go, God, I can never do that because. I'm just not in that good of shape, you know, because yeah, yeah. you have to carry the stuff. Yeah, you, yeah. Okay. So what are some really cool stunts you've done? Uh, okay, well, uh, I mean, they're probably, listen, you're, we're in an age now where there's people doing stunts that are next level. I mean, Tom Cruise's airplane move in the newest mission possible was out of control, right? So my stuff's not going to go. But it's cool. It's not going to go. What he did was unbelievable. I loved it. But my stuff isn't going to go anywhere near that. But just great uh, there, I got to do some great wire work on that show I did in Canada. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Walking on a wire? No, you know what? Like a Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, where you're doing martial art work, but on wires. So it looks like you can do, you, you know, you're hooked up to like harnesses that they take away in C- with CGI later. So when you're doing kicks and jumps, you can do far better moves than gravity would really allow you. Okay. That kind of, it's like circus work, right? So that kind of stuff is amazing. But you're you're hooked up to these really complex harness systems. So you can do like a flying roundhouse, which gravitationally would not quite work, but for the sh- but right, <laughs> but for- <laughs> but for the show, you're like, man, that guy got real air. Yeah, and <laughs> and wow. And then there was uh, an indie film I did with oh with Norman Reedus okay. from Walking Dead. It was me and Norman Reedus and a few other really far out people, and there was some great stunts of jumping off piers into the ocean in the middle of the night, and that was wild because you had to keep doing it and keep doing it. And no. that was a dark, freezing water. Yeah, is that must be scary? Are you a very yeah. good swimmer? Uh, I'm a good swimmer, yeah. Okay. But but it it's not like you. It wasn't jumping off into tidal waves, or it was just jumping into freezing dark water in the middle of the night. Like you you know you're you just do it. Yeah, and you have to do a couple of takes. But I I had the I had a cold the minute I hit the water. You're yeah. just miserable. <laughs> and then I've been sent to the hospital a couple on two occasions from stunts. Now now what happened there? Because that 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 would be frustrating i mean that's gotta be like you guys sit there and go yeah i came to work and it's like anything you one you feel like you know yeah you're like oh god i'm the putz that, that, that got oh yeah there. yeah i've been i've oh, been what, what happened i've I been gotta... sent to the hospital twice so one was on the tv show in canada this is what led to me making the stunt guys do it first that was kind of the show it, it it was not a good thing it was not a good thing i'm gonna tell you right now it was not i i'm really actively against this whole productions moving to canada thing um i got let i i did a a, a thing where I fly, I run up a wall and then I get into a, a kick with someone and we landed wrong and I my ankle just went like that and snapped. 
Uh, and then the other hospital was the fight sequence in that film with Norman Reedus called Sand, this little odd little indie film that you can like possibly find somewhere. But there's a fight sequence where everyone... Oh, you know who else is in it? That great actor from... Oh, okay, I'm getting his name wrong, so screw it. But the wonderful character actor. John... John... Uh, I'm not even going to do it. Okay. What there, movie was he in? So he did the great film about the... He plays like a cult leader who plays guitar... He's a uh, he's got long brown hair and he's a character face and he's a, and I know this I've known this guy forever and I can't think of his name is it not Hughes his last name maybe Hughes Look it up. um okay uh, but I'll tell you while you're looking it up he he also did Deadwood he also did was in Deadwood he had a great part in Deadwood Charlie Hughes John no okay regardless there's a fight sequence at the end of the film where all these guys jump into a jacuzzi and beat each other up. And I was wearing sandals because I play a beach guy. And my foot just got split open in every which way. Because everyone was wearing combat boots. And we're in a jacuzzi in a fist fight. <laughs> I just got... Who's the kid's name in, in Deadwood? Is it John Hughes? Charlie Hughes? Hawks. John Hawks. John Hawks. Yeah, John Hawks. Great actor. See that? You got it. But you remember you had the John part, right? Yeah. John Hawks. Norman Reedus. Myself. A few other far out actors were in it. And my foot got split open. I ended up in the hospital. Now, when you know there's going to be a fight scene, and because you do these things, do you have to start exercising before? I mean, how do you sit there? Because you have to mentally prepare to be yeah. in the scene. Yeah, I get all worked up. And did you start work? I mean, are you a physical? Do you work out a lot? Do you do yoga? Do you go to the gym? Or here's the truth: I'm a small guy. I'm I'm slight, but I'm in pretty decent shape. I've boxed my whole life, but not. I mean, I boxed and I've done martial arts and I swim and I bicycle and. Uh, I do stuff, so I'm I'm not by any means don't get the idea that I'm like a, a you know a, a CrossFit dude, but I but I stay in pretty decent shape because you know I don't want my wife to run off with a good looking athlete. Well, because but you're the good looking guy. She's she you know she's there to stay because she gave you the chance, and now she knows I gave him the chance to go fuck cheerleaders, right? And he didn't. He right. Didn't, he didn't even fuck them because there was a line of them. Yeah, there was a, there was a line of them, Steve. I mean, sure, there was a line of there was a line of. From here to UC Irvine. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. The whole UC, USC staff. I mean, I'm looking at me. I would probably get like the flag girl, you know, I would, or, or a majorette, you know. Oh, God. I hope that day never comes where I get forced with my, yeah. to actually <laughs> confront who I could get. So now you you've act, you were in Almost Famous, but it didn't make the clip. Was I was that? in Cameron Crowe's director's cut. I played Alice Cooper's tour manager. Now, have you been a big Cameron Crowe fan? Was that great? I mean, is there certain, yeah. some people you've worked with that you go... Wow, I love their work. I knew him. I met him socially, and he just asked me to be in it. And I was like, hell yeah. So that and this, it's a scene that's in the director's cut with um, Kate Hudson. No, yeah, Kate Hudson, right? Right. She's, and, oh my she's God. funny. Right. And uh, we're all in the lobby. Oh, and Anna Paquin, right? It was also in the scene. Great Sorry, movie. these were like, these but, were a long time ago. I know, but it's great. Kate movie. Hudson, Anna Paquin, myself, and all these other people were in the, were in the lobby of what's called the famous Hyatt House, Sunset Hyatt. And I play Alice Cooper's tour manager, and we get into a conversation or whatever, and that was kind of fun because I'm wearing a wig and a, a whole thing. Now, do you do you ever do do you get wigs a lot, or I mean, because how about your beard? Do they people make you shave your beard at times for roles, or they say, "Hey, grow that beard. We want to see that Bodie Alpha beard." Uh -huh. what, what, how's that happen? Commercials usually make me shave it, but I don't do a lot of commercials anymore because I'm just sort of interested in other stuff. So I keep my beard now. Now That's they good. just now they keep it. Doesn't it piss you off, though, that you've had a beard on and off for a long time, yeah. and now everybody oh, yeah. in L.A. has beards? I always sit there. It's like I used to have the little soul patch, and everyone yeah. got it. And yeah. I, you know, and, and I've always worn it. The hipsters are – I'm trying to take – I'm trying to take the beard back. You know, you know how are you going to do that? Because I think you need to take the beard back because yeah. everyone – and they do the weird shit with the beard, and they, they – they... I'm going to shame the hipsters for having beards. Okay. And then go into isolation 
for a while and then come back out with my beard and all the hipsters will have shaved theirs. I th- it's crazy. Isn't it crazy? Like, you yeah. know, it's like, it's like when tattoos exploded, right? You know, like when I went to college, there was like one girl <laughs> and she was this really beautiful girl. And it was her, her name was Susan Yarrow. So we yeah. used to call her, uh, we used to call her, uh, uh, Miss Teenage America. We had like Nick yeah, 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 yeah. and she had a tattoo on her, on her ankle. Sure. And back in the eighties, no one really had tattoos. My mom, my mom's had tattoos her whole life since the sixties. So your mom's hip. Your mom was before the trend. Well, my mom is a hardcore Los Angeles feminist lesbian. Right. <laughs> you said that. Yeah. But isn't it crazy now? Like all of a sudden, like something will take off like the tattoos all of a sudden take off and everybody has them. Right. Do you have any tattoos? I do, but I've had them for a long time. I've had so, all my tattoos for a long time. So yeah, so then, then the beard, you know, and you're sitting there going, wait a second, because, you know, back then, like no one had beards. Like right. Ludo from Popeye had beards. Right. Or, or, or cowboys. Sailors. Yeah. And Sailors now, and, and submariners. Yeah, and now you look around, I mean, it must, because <laughs> you dress hip, I mean, people must think you're a hipster sometimes. That must get you pissed off. Well, here's the best part of it. So, okay, you so you nailed me and, and, I, and I applaud you for nailing me and here's why. I was trying to explain to my sons what a hipster is because I, I live I live in Los Angeles and there's hipsters everywhere. everywhere. It's like an, it's a fucking infestation. So I was trying to explain them. I one day I was going off on hipsters in front of the the uh, uh, UCB, you know UCB yeah. on Franklin, because that's 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 the epicenter of the hipster. Uh, okay. And that's where they that's where they aggregate to 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 do their hipsterisms, and it's pretty and and there it's obnoxious. And I was off on some rant about hipsters and my son was like what's a hipster so i tried to explain what my son does what, what a hipster is to my son and my older one went like was like well that's you like you have a beard and you wear pants that are kind of skinny on the bottom and you wear nice like sneakers sometimes and i and i was driving and there's that moment where you're like oh no oh no oh no oh i'm that but I did it forever. I'm just me. I yeah, but know. no, you aren't though, because you're before. It's like anything, you know. If you if I'm you do me. it before, here's the difference. I'm gonna tell you what the difference is, because I, I I was forced to make a difference, otherwise I would have made myself look like a total ass. So in that moment, I realized here's the differentiation between myself, you know, having a beard or whatever, and hipsters. Hipsters don't give a shit about anything, but care a lot, but care a little about a lot of things. Okay, so let's get that. So hipsters don't really know much about anything or care much about anything, but care a little about a lot of things. I don't care about a lot of things. I care about a few things and things I care about. I care about a lot and I'm very knowledgeable in those things. Hipsters are kind of like, yeah, the environment. Yeah, discrimination. Yeah, yeah, I always, yeah, Obama. Yeah, I always, fuck Trump. But then you sit them down and you ask them what they're talking about. They have no fucking clue what they're talking about. Well, that's like the people you... That's see. a hipster. Yeah, because you sit there sometimes... And I, I hate when people use the word genius yeah. or brilliant so right. easily. Like, oh, well, such and such's work is oh, it's just brilliant. And I would go, right. and sometimes I don't understand. I maybe, I'm thinking maybe I'm stupid. I miss the brilliance. Right. But I'll go, well, what makes it brilliant? Right. And it's the same thing. Whoa. Yeah, but okay, I understand that. But what makes it brilliant? Right. I'm a big Springsteen fan. Oh, why do you like Springsteen? Because I grew up listening to music. I love his lyrics. That's why. I It's passionate. But- He's incredible. Right. What he did was incredible. Oh, what yeah. he does is incredible. He's yeah. an incredible songwriter. And but for them, they're like, oh. it's, you're right, because yeah. it's like there's no hipsters are quick to are quick to uh, criticize, but they don't but they don't know much about anything else. Like they're you know, I don't like that movie. And I know it's not really a big fan of that guy. And, like, and you know that's what else, hip, Those are hipsters. And you know what else they do? And I notice I notice this on Facebook a lot. Yeah. Let's say you know. Let's say someone says. Let's say I post something and someone says. Uh, we we hate that 
guest. He's right. an asshole. Right. Or, but then like eight other people go, oh, man, we love his work. Well, I always go, hey, yeah. it's great that these people said this about sure. such and such. Sure. What hipsters do is they'll put the negative thing up yeah. and they'll go, I can't believe such and such said this. Right. I go, yeah, but you got 10 other nice things said. So why yeah, would yeah. you do that? Yeah, That's right. funny. Yeah, so I was forced uh, to discern what a hipster was. Otherwise, my sons would think I was a hipster, and I didn't want that to happen. That's not good. <laughs> so now, I'm like, what do you, what do you and your wife do for fun? Because you know, you're both known faces in Hollywood. How is it? Do you go to see concerts? Because I would always think, you know, and you said you, you're not someone who's been in the tabloids because you've been together and you've 26 been 26 years. We've kept clean. I think. So, I mean, yeah. What do you? What do you? I mean, is it just? Are you night? If like, because you know, tabloid people are just idiots. They'll show yeah. up. Do you just sit there and just say, "Hey, how you doing?" And they just go their merry way? Okay, well, that's too good. Those are great questions. Two, two. The first question: What do we do? We do stuff with our kids. We really. I'm obsessed with my two boys. I have a six and eight year old. And I'm obsessed. So we don't do much without them because we like being with them. So everything we do has that element to it. You know, like we're off on some adventure at the beach or a hike or Yosemite. I'm a massive hiker. I like to do big Yosemite hikes. I bring my my oldest because the youngest is not quite ready for the hikes I do. I love stuff like that. Jenna does great stuff with the kids. As far as the press or the tabloids, uh, we're pretty boring, right? We just kind of do our art and we just kind of create our art and do our thing and there's not much to talk about. Or And they do things where they try to kind of maybe push your buttons a little bit and we just ignore them. The, the thing you don't want to do is get engaged or answer back because that's what they're hoping to do. And they're pretty mean, meaning that they, they'll now get in your face and try to ask a, like a, a, an imposing question, hoping to get a reaction. The only, and we just ignore, the only thing that gets my wife is when they point the camera at the kids, she gets a little pissed off. Yeah, well, because that's the one thing that just disgusts me. She loses her temper and she knows that she can't lose her temper because that's what they're hoping will happen. They want her to lose her temper. But she's had a couple times where she's been like, not the kids, guys, not the kids. Come on, not the kids. Well, I think that's just common decency. It's like yeah. when, when Nia Bartolos was on, you know, she would always put her kid in paint you know because yeah. she didn't like a face paint like oh right. we're gonna dress you up like a, a yeah. lion because it's and then because then yeah. the photographers would be like oh shit we want to get a picture of that damn kid yeah. but the kid's dressed like a lion <laughs> he's got a lion face and I, I think that's something that's just the kids should yeah. be off because you know it's because the bottom line is also is it's not safe it's like i, I think, yeah i think it's it's sad that a photographer want to take pictures because first of all yeah yeah your kids aren't famous yeah know? right they, they think they you're a hipster yeah you know? right <laughs> unless, they, unless I'm, they dress like hipsters i'm just a bearded hipster what do i <laughs> yeah what do they care about me no we, we we're pretty easy we're boring we're artists we're just into our art and creating tv and movie and projects and we just do our thing so we're yeah. not out doing shit now now how long do you you expect to do the podcast you like to do it every week is it something you find therapeutic or is it something that you know you oh it's, there, enjoy? it's therapeutic for sure for the mar for the marriage oh yeah we talk about shit do you ever get pissed off at each other like when you get off air you go man why'd you bring that shit up oh yeah the um so we went 50 we went 45 episodes with not getting in anything too heavy on episode 46 we got into it i made her cry we had to stop it's it's there in the podcast I, we had to stop the fucking podcast where i went in the back the camera crew sitting around waiting I had to go in the back and talk to her for half an hour in the bathroom. Her mascara is running. She's crying. And then that tumbled into another episode where then I, my mood crashed and I got completely upset. And it went, so we had the three, it was three of them back to back to back where it got real serious. And I, Jenna, yeah, it was a big deal. I got really pissed off and upset because it went too far into some shit. So yes. That's but then, but then I got upset that I thought it was really bad podcasting. And the response was like, no, that's real. From people was like, they really liked it. Now you said camera. Is it video too? We video our podcast. Now. Okay, so now so you video it. Yeah, it's a it's a vodcast. So you guys are just sitting there talking, and then it's yep. videos on you. Yep. 
See, I, I that's see, someone always said to me, they said, why, you know, you should do your video. I said, well, first of all, I said, who wants to watch me? You know, they want to listen. And then my other thing is, it's like, you know, you can't have two cameras because the way it's set up, everyone's like, you know, and I'm we like, we do one camera. Yeah. Well, cause you guys probably sit next to each other, sit next to each other at a counter at our kitchen counter. Yep. Go to, yeah. Just go to kicking and screaming on iTunes or YouTube or Nerdist and check it out. It's, but we sit at a counter and we just talk to each other. And it's at our own kitchen counter in our house. That's it. Now, do you think you've been helping people? Because from the from the responses you get, yeah. you think people go, "This is really good," and you must feel great about that. Yeah, I like that. People are like, "Man, you made us talk about stuff," and and you know the fact that you guys are confronting that kind of stuff. I mean, I think every guy wants to fuck a cheerleader. Yeah, exactly. So there you go. So you're sitting there, you know, unless unless you know you're married to a cheerleader, my, my, then you then you want to screw someone else. My wife wants me to point out when I make that joke that I mean college or above cheerleaders. Okay. Oh yeah, I know. I because I've made that joke before, and my wife's like, "You you you imbecile, make you better point out what you mean by cheerleader." Right? I and I mean you know University of Texas cheerleaders. Right. I know. Okay. Good. You're not you're not you're not meaning like you know. I only want to. You know, I'm not even going to say that. Yes, you get the or, point. Or Devry De- Tech. You don't want. You don't want to hook up with the the Devry Tech. Cheerleader. Now wait a second. Okay. That could be kind of amazing. Well, yeah, but you know, I've never ever been. I don't think Devry is a football team. Okay. So so we have a few minutes left. Yeah. What else is coming up for you? What What do you got planned in the future? Well, um, uh, uh, we've got. <laughs> you got me. You got me on that one. We've got the podcast coming out every week. Jenna and I are developing this marriage show and Jenna just did a project for ABC and we'll hope that goes and we'll see what happens. But right now we're just putting out our podcast like mad every week. There's a, there's a new episode ready to go and maybe you'll be seeing a TV show about the foundations of Los Angeles built around a crime novel and then uh, maybe a documentary on the Little Rock Nine. I would like that. You got to get the stuff out there. Now, now what's, what's your social media? I know you tweet. That's how I found you. I found you on Twitter. Yeah. Bodie Elfman. It's a hard one. It's B-O-D-H-I. That's the Bodie part. Bodie Elfman, E-L-F-M-A-N. It's an unusual name. Hippie mom. Bodie Elfman. At Bodie Elfman on everything. How many people, how many times a day do people screw up your name? Because people can't pronounce my name sometimes. Right. How do they, how many times? What's the I way, get Bodhi a lot or Bodhi. Bodhi. Yeah. I, yeah it's, it's a Buddhist name. But it's, if you looked at it, you would think it was, it wouldn't be Bodhi, it'd be Bodhi. If they're going to pronounce it that well, it's way. Bu- right. It's, the, it's from Buddhism, right? So it's the, taking the word Buddha. Buddha just means one who has achieved Bodhi. That's uh, well. It means it means the state of Bodhi is the state of ethical and intellectual perfection in the religion of Buddhism. Buddha just means he achieved the state of Bodhi. He was Siddhartha, sat under the fig tree and achieved Bodhi. So then he became Buddha. So right. that's why it's the silent H, B O D H I. And he didn't fuck cheerleaders. That's no, all he did not. He thought about it maybe. <laughs> yeah. I want to thank you for coming on. I'm glad you can make it, uh, people. So go follow him. Uh, it's it's at Bodhi Elfman. Yep. And go and did you tweet a lot? I tweet and Instagram all the time. And Instagram's at Bodie Elfman also. That's right. Cool. So go follow him, people. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Cooper Talk. I'm at Cooper Talk. Instagram, I'm at Cooper Talk One. My Instagram more is uh, I do a lot of the, the food I cook because it's I, I do what I call eat healthy and cheap. Because as yeah. you know, as you know, my cookbook, if you go to my website, stopthesalt.com, you know when I have my health problem, I had to change my diet a little bit. Now it's got that was almost four years ago that I got out of the hospital. Uh, so go to stopthesalt.com. It's 120 low sodium recipes. There's no pictures, okay? Because guys, it's mostly cooking for one. It's cooking for guys. When you look, when you look at a cookbook and you see the pictures, you get intimidated. There's no pictures on this, and there's no major ingredients. I mean, I have cumin now because I'm a good cook. But if you don't have cumin, don't worry. You don't need cumin. Go to stopthesalt.com. Buy the cookbook. You can buy it at BarnesandNoble.com or Amazon.com. But if you buy it from them, 
they make more money and I don't. So if you buy it from me, I make more money and I'll autograph it. If you don't want to autograph it, just say we don't want your autograph and that's fine. And as I said, go to my website also. That's coopertalk.net. I have a, actually when I post Bodie's episode, he'll be number 499. He'll be yeah. 499 and you can email me there also at cooper at coopertalk.net. I always respond. Uh, Twitter, I always said Twitter's already Cooper Talk. Uh, words with friends. If anyone's played words with friends, I'm really getting into that. I'm at Cooper talk one. I play that all the time and it makes me feel smart and it's good. And sometimes, you know, I, I've beaten one guy like 37 times. I feel bad. I went to high school with them. I don't want to play them anymore, but you can't stop. Cause I'm like 37 and four. So I feel great. So anyway, go follow Bodie, go watch his, uh, watch his podcast. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. And I will talk to you guys.